You're listening to Opera Box Score. Uh, let's get ready to rumble! Wherever you are, however you're listening, it is America's talk radio show about opera. It's Opera Box Score. I'm George Cedarquist, joined this week by Oliver Camacho and Weston Williams. All right, it's our new segment, View from the Pit. When we roll up our sleeves and get down and dirty with the best grinders in the business, instrumentalists playing in <laughs> opera house orchestra pits, we go inside the huddle with Metropolitan Opera Principal Trumpet David Krause to talk about the triumphal march from Maida and, of course, about his own podcast, Speaking Soundly. And then it's our recap of the 2022 International Opera Awards who triumphed last week at the ceremony in Madrid. Plus, two-minute drill. Can you imagine the Vienna State Opera without a music director? Well, the house's general director, Bogdan Rosic, can. Really great show this week. We might even have a listener mailbag entry to share. You're going to want to make sure you subscribe to the podcast, Stitcher, Spotify. Just click follow, Apple Podcasts, hit the plus sign, send us that voice memo, email us your hot takes, operaboxscore at gmail.com. You're going to get the OBS beer coaster and the OBS lapel pin. Oliver's joining the show for the new segment right now with just me and Weston. It's great to see you, Weston. Just the two of us sitting, hanging out. Shooting the breeze, you know, just a couple of guys sitting in the hot tub, you know. Talking about opera, talking about sports. It's it's really great. Of course, Alabama (laughs) out of the running for the um, college football playoff. Uh, Four teams. There was a tough season for Alabama. Two losses. Yeah, it really was kind of a low tide kind of situation, I think. (laughs) Here's the thing about the World Cup that bothers me. And it's Mm. not FIFA being the most corrupt organization on the planet, which it is, which is bothersome. Here's the thing. You talk to people in this country and they're like, yeah, well, you know, like America, we're just not good at soccer. We're just not good in the World Cup. And it's like, oh, no, we're very good in the World Cup when it's the women playing. Exactly. And they don't get paid like a fraction of what the men do. It's honestly we have ridiculous. no problem winning World Cup games and titles with women. Mm-hmm. So don't tell me that America has a World Cup problem. Let's talk some opera. The view from the pit. Can you do me a favor and describe, because it's, it's superhuman what you do. Can you describe what it's like to be one voice singing over a huge orchestra to a packed house of 4,000 seats? I mean, what's it like physically to be able to fill a room with that much sound? So I love sports analogies for singing and I love watching athletes. And when I'm in the groove, I don't feel anything. It's like watching Roger Federer when he swings or Tiger Woods, you know, when the ball is hit perfectly, you don't feel any effort because all the aerodynamics, all of the, the physicality, it's all working in perfect motion and the ease of it is extraordinary. David Krause is the principal trumpet of the Metropolitan Opera Orchestra. He's performed with the Chicago and Boston Symphony Orchestras and the New York Philharmonic, as well as recorded for film and television and played on several Broadway shows. His podcast, Speaking Soundly, features the lives and creative processes of today's most accomplished performing artists and promising newcomers. David joins us from New York City. Welcome to the show. Thanks. Let's get the obvious question out of the way first, David. From one trumpet player to another, just how <laughs> sick are you of playing the triumphal march from Aida? <laughs> yeah. Well, I should say that it just opened again this season. Uh, Ooh, and the review. Woof. Yeah. Oh, I didn't read that yet, but yeah, I will. Um, it just opened a couple of days ago, and um, the and we're doing it probably like 12 times this season we do it like every season that i've been there pretty much um for about 20 years so the answer right. is i sh- i should be i like if i had half a brain i really should be tired but i don't <laughs> i don't tire of it um i have a list of operas that i never need to play again but aida isn't is is definitely not on it um there's something yeah. about the, those intervals at the beginning. I feel like it just scratches the trumpeter brain in just the perfect way. You know what I mean? It, it does. I mean, I, I think um, if we're on the radio, I don't think I would listen to it. I don't think I would drop the needle on it. <laughs> but no. 
when I'm, uh, so I don't crave it musically really, but it's like a piece of pizza. Like I'm never going to turn it down. And especially when you, uh, when you perform it, you know, it's just so exciting to play. What about the Rex Tremende from, uh, the, the Requiem? Oh, that too. That's like, you know, that, uh, all of those, that's the thing about being a trumpet player. It's like when we play, stuff goes down like somebody's <laughs> yeah. coming somebody's going somebody's getting killed somebody's yeah. like it's always it's the exciting part <laughs> the thing about aida is that um most of the time i'm playing trumpet one in the pit but if i'm not uh if i'm off that night from the pit on occasion i'll play on the stage which is a completely different experience mm. uh because oh, you're wearing uh, a loincloth well, you're yeah. Essentially, I'm wearing adult diapers and a yeah. tunic, <laughs> and I'm playing. Um, I'm playing this long. That's build. what I'm wearing right now. That just so nice. happens. <laughs> it looks lovely. Uh, a long build trumpet, and you're you're on a platform uh, about twenty feet above the rest of the people on the stage, and below you are you have the whole chorus. Of course, you have the the the, the soloists. Um, you're in the middle of this gigantic set. The chorus is all around you and you have a, like a hundred supers on the stage. Um, so it's this, well, it's this amazing triumphal march, right? So, yeah. and the animals are walking on and up. Like, how could you, and you get to play the music too. So, uh, you know, and it definitely it's, gives it's, you a feeling of, of what it's like to be an opera singer, right? Like just to be amidst all of that chaos and to like do your thing when there's so much happening on the stage. It's a different feeling being more, on the stage. Uh, well, slightly more, but it's there's. Uh, <laughs> I, I would I would gladly turn it down, um, and I'll tell you why. Uh, I, I prefer to play in my tux in the pit um, as opposed to because if you play the stage, you get to go in an hour. You know, you don't come in till Act Two, and then you go home after that, and you get a little extra money for putting on a costume. And some people like to do that. I hate to do it yeah, uh, yeah. and it, do you want to hear a gross story i've got a gross oh, absolutely story. sure and then we'll it. talk about the real reason why we invited you on the show but go ahead tell us a gross story <laughs> well i mean it's the um i'll keep it clean but essentially you have two one major rule as you're up there like just don't don't you know don't do anything stupid right so don't fall off the stage you have to play really well but you're the you're there the whole time so the whole act is like 40 minutes and most of it is just standing still as everything else helps. So you play the triumphal march, and then you have to just kind of stand at attention, which is not easy to do, um, for, you know, for 40 minutes. Well, so at one of these, when the, the horse comes on, usually the horse has this bag in the back. So if it poops, it poops in the bag, and like it's no big deal. And uh, the horse comes on, the horse goes off. Well, this particular <laughs> night, whoever um, sized up the horse's bag, was off about six inches and mm. the horse as it came on made um a track of poo across the metropolitan opera orchestra state so that was all right so so i'm sitting there trying not to bust up my 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 buddy's playing second trumpet so we're you know like two trumpet players laughing in the background but we're keeping it together uh and then the smell wafts up and we're trying not to laugh and then the chorus of slaves comes on and has to travail this river of poo and again we're trying not to laugh and we're being really professional until all the chorus the entire met chorus is on the stage in front of the poo um and the um it's the high point of the of the act and um the soloists are out in the front it's a full house and as everybody's standing in front of the poo the general the the stage manager we see sends out um a stagehand with nothing more than uh, a bucket and a scoop and the stage hand was on his hands and knees oh, scraping no. the poo into the bucket behind the course now this is mind you this is as the triumphal music is happening and it was at the <laughs> point when he looked up at well he was just looking up at the heavens but it looked like he looked me straight in the face and gave a look like where has my life gotten me yeah. to that this is <laughs> no. this is my life now and was that sage had in costume or was he just like no, in no his they, they they sent him out kneeling behind okay. everybody who's okay. in shackles screaming and, and and at the height of the music so i think it was the music and the absurdity of the whole situation that i just lost it i mean i could not 
contain myself. So, so David, we're... this has been great. I'm so glad you've been on the show to talk. <laughs> we're speaking to <laughs> we're speaking to David Kraus, uh, who is the host of the new Speaking Soundly podcast. As we record this on December 5th, uh, there are 13 episodes, and the most recent episode you just heard a little bit of a conversation with Joyce DiDonato. Uh, other guests include Ray Chen, uh, Wynn Marsalis, Evelyn Glennie, Isabel Leonard. Uh, so right out of the gate, you are uh, talking to sort of the marquee artists of classical music. Uh, what made you want to start a podcast knowing that there's already the best podcast uh, out there? <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, there are a lot of podcasts out there. I just found out that our show is in the top 2% of podcasts. And when I tell people that, they're like, oh, my God, that's incredible. I'm like, well out of like a billion podcasts, yeah. you really want to be in that point too. So yeah. uh, we're getting there. But yeah, there is a lot of podcasts. I, I did it um, not to be a podcaster. I did it not to um, not because I felt like I was going to, you know, be the next big thing. I did it because I had um, uh, I was a I was brought together by a mutual friend with somebody who was in uh, book publishing and the original concept of our project, which happened in the middle of the pandemic, was to uh, interview people that I had close ties with. I, I'm around a lot of artists. I, somebody like Emmanuel Axe live, lives uh, um, a few streets away from me at my house. We have a house up in Tanglewood uh, in Massachusetts, and he lives up there too. And I, I also see him in New York. So I asked him and he said yes, or Wynton Marsalis or or anybody from the Met, they, people were just kind of okay with doing that. So it started by having these conversations, researching for the book, and then the conversations turned out was really entertaining. So we started a podcast. So uh, that that and that's and this is where we are now. So, like I said, you have these really impressive uh, roster of interview guests. Are you just approaching them directly? Are you dealing with their publicists? How do you court these people? I mean, mm -hmm. I know Isabel Leonard is not an easy interview to get, nor is Joyce Dinaud. I've asked like six times to get an interview with her, <laughs> and it yeah. never happens. So, well, I think the big advantage for those people that I don't know personally. Um, like the ones that, that, that I do know personally, like I texted Winton and he was like, yeah, sure. Of course oh, I'll do it. Um, yeah. but, but I mean, this is like, he's been in my life since I've been, you know, 13 years old, but, um, people that I know work with, but don't know personally, if I see them at the opera house, you know, I can always just right. bug them until they cave. Uh, so there's a certain element of that. Uh, some people, um, I think just being affiliated um, in the subject line that my partner, my business partner sends out to people, people's management to kind of break through the noise a little bit. Um, the subject line says interview with Met Opera in caps, principal trumpet, David Krause. So it's not a personal email from me, somebody that they don't know. I think that the fact that I'm affiliated with the Met, um, in mm, a, right. but not this podcast is zero affiliated with the Met, but it's something, uh, you know, that's in my title of what I do. I think that breaks through the noise a little bit. But yeah, for sure. You're in the canteen at the, in, at the Met in the basement lounge there. And it's like talking about having, the poop stories. Yeah. You're having yes. chicken a la king and it's like, <laughs> Hey, yeah, yeah, it, that's exactly it. So yeah, no, I have, um, awesome. I think part of the, also the inspiration for the podcast was like, I'm, uh, I'm often amazed at the artistry in my everyday life. So not only the people that I perform with, but the people that I'm around and the artists that I listen to on, uh, on, on, on my, I, you know, on my iPhone, like, you know, I love, I've always loved Rufus Wainwright and, mm. um, and I'm talking to him next week. Like, uh, <laughs> yeah, so, so we got through to him and, and we're getting all these, uh, great artists. And I think we, we can also now say, well, would you like to be in the company of, Ray Chen, Joyce DiDonato, uh, Anthony Ruff Costanzo, or whatever. And people are like, well, yeah. So that, yeah. That's, that's been helping. Well, feel free, feel free to send some of those uh, our way if, you've, if they're, sure uh, <laughs> if they're not seconds. too busy. Yeah. <laughs> um, sure but uh, obviously, uh, you're not exactly like bringing a mic to the theater, um, but you are making those connections very organically. Um, but uh, speaking as the person who is currently recording this on Zoom audio, uh, I would like to know how you get your podcast sounding so good because <laughs> we, uh, one of our, our big hurdles has been, uh, since the pandemic, figuring out this whole remote audio thing. Uh, what, what do you do to get your audio sounding just crisp and clean? 
Well, I, I'm really glad to hear that um, that you think that because it's it's been a process. It, it really has. Um, you know, I see that, uh, you know, I'm watching you right now. You're obviously in your closet or an incredibly mm-hmm. small house, one of the two. Uh, I'm going <laughs> to assume it's a closet. Um, but I, I've been I've been uh, I've been in many closets. That doesn't sound right. But I've recorded from uh, from from our closet uh, in the in the apartment in New York City can be quite loud right now oh yes uh, like i said i have dinner on the stove and my son who's a, a a cellist has stopped his practice and my wife is not watching the crown on tv so we can uh so i can have kind of a quiet apartment. Great. so, so you're that up. guy who's like hey everybody stop the fun stuff that you're doing so i can do my <laughs> oh it's more than that it's like hey have you not heard that i'm a podcaster and i need complete silence <laughs> cue eye roll i, I right. say that literally every day so yeah, yeah. i'm right there with you so the 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 but the audio quality um uh I think literally I I've just I've been experimenting with things like I said I use that program called Descript which has been really helpful and uh I've tinkered around with Audacity. I think part of it is um I've always been bugged by things that don't sound great. I'll even mm. listen to uh you know the daily or uh or uh you know, something on NPR or something. And and for the general, I mean, it's amazing, right? But once in a while, they'll have a remote thing and I'll be like, there's echo in the room or there's there's a hum there that's really bothering me. And I don't know if it's my OCD or the fact that I'm a musician that helped me key into that, but <laughs> I like things to sound really good. Um, oh, so, so me I spent, too. I mean, yeah. let, me, let, me tell, let me tell you right now, when I'm editing this podcast, this is going to be a really emotional moment for me. Um, there's something that uh, George is always shuffling in the background. Hyping Oliver always breathes just so in just the same way. Uh, here's a fun fact that uh, all you listeners out there are never going to be able to unhear is that whenever Oliver starts a sentence, he says the word so. And I have to go in and manually delete that so, or else it's just garbage. So I I, I fully understand. I, I feel your pain, and I'm glad you're doing so well so early. So um, yes. <laughs> the, uh, the thing that I'm impressed about so far is uh, you seem to have gained some interviewing techniques, and some of your guests have really been forthcoming with stories, and it that, that feels to flow pretty nicely. Um, I thought that the conversation you had with Joyce Denial, the one I just recently listened to, was like, wow, yeah. she yeah. said a lot of stuff <laughs> in that podcast. And she was very, I mean, she's always very authentic, but she really did, you know, say some things I wasn't expecting her to say, you know. Mm-hmm. Did you pick up some of those interview techniques by listening to Opera Box Score or Michael Barbaro? <laughs> <laughs> That's the one. I mean, that drives me up a wall. Like, mm-hmm. I, but, there, but there's been New York Times articles just about that so and i think now he's leaning into it so now i hear him <laughs> much more um yeah no i i can only wish i can be as as, as great an interviewer as, as him um i think that um no i'm not a good interviewer i don't have any i haven't thought about it at all i think the the fact that um i'm as much of a fan of joyce's or or anybody who i speak to really i'm, I'm speaking to really interesting people to me i think it's um I get bugged when I hear um, novice people who are not musicians talk to musicians because it's very fluffy. But Mm, then at the same time, when you hear musicians talking to musicians or a photographer talking to a photographer or a cook talking to a cook, it gets really uh, specific so much so that I kind of tune out. So somewhere in between the fact that I'm a musician talking to them is uh is great but i'm also a fan i'm also curious about the creative process so while i'm a musician and i perform i don't know what it's like to be a jazz uh guitarist i don't know what it's like to sing over um a hundred piece orchestra into the skulls of four thousand people in the metropolitan opera house i i don't know what it's like to be a composer and these things interest me so mm-hmm. i'm curious about it i'm glad it turns out to be a, a good discussion but it's 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 pretty honest david before we let you go and get back to that uh hot tiki masala. On the show, yes yes um so, you know, you and I, here we are both trumpet players. I assume we were both complete band nerds uh, in in school. <laughs> That's correct. And so, like, so what's what's your sports memory, you know, from your from your childhood? 
Well, you know, for my childhood, uh, it was mostly, or it was all pretty much exclusively like so many through my dad, uh, mm -hmm. you know, as, uh, of course, Little League. Um, my brother was a avid soccer player. My dad mm -hmm. was a super soccer fan. So actually, um, as a kid, we used to go to uh, Cosmos games and I saw Pele's ah, last game uh, and we used to wow. drive to New Jersey. And I remember yes. as a young kid being in Giant Stadium watching the Cosmos and around all these screaming people. Um, it was it was insane. Uh, so that but, you know, that and then I was like, you know, then I was like the dumpy kid in right field uh, for the for the rest of my sports <laughs> career. Uh, and then I picked up the trumpet and I didn't have to shine on, on uh, you know. I, I didn't have to do any sports. I could I could shine just just holding the trumpet. That's perfect. We're in the middle of the World Cup. Who is your pick to win it all? I, I mean, I'm going to say Argentina because you know uh, that's that just seems like the right thing to say. But I don't know. I'm so not a sports guy. It's almost embarrassing. And being a trumpet player and not being a sports guy gives you a lot of anxiety because I have <laughs> very to very like, broy the brass section. Well, I have oh, to tap the trumpets to, especially. Yeah. yeah, I have to tap out of like fifty percent of the conversations. So, uh, but yeah, so that's um, why you started the know, podcast. That's exactly. <laughs> I'm sorry. I know I'd love to talk to you about this, but I got a podcast. So. That, that's exactly it. Yeah. David Krause is the principal trumpet of the Metropolitan Opera Orchestra. Speaking soundly is available wherever you get your pods, including Apple Podcasts. David, thank you so much for hanging out with us. Thanks for having me. This was a lot of fun. Again, great to have David Krause of Speaking Soundly on the show. Hey, you want to subscribe to our podcast too, of course, Stitcher and Spotify. Click follow Apple Podcasts. Hit the plus sign. A little bit of sports talk before we get into the middle part of our show. Fantasy football update. The OBS team is now the first team in <sighs> the league without Philadelphia to qualify for the playoffs. Yes, there's, <gasps> there's fantasy football playoffs. We're 9-3. <laughs> First team to go nine and three into the playoffs, I, Weston. You know, George. In the past, we've done this, and we've always done so badly that I haven't felt the need to learn what the rules of fantasy football are. But let me tell you what: we are so deep in it now. I really gotta open up some Google and figure out what fantasy football is. You do need to go down that wormhole because I barely understand the rules <laughs> of fantasy football. Chalk talk. It's right now. The International Opera Awards were announced last week in a ceremony at the Teatro Real in Madrid. They were being announced literally as we were taping last week's show. So we're going to take a look at the winners. There are no losers, of course. <laughs> These awards presented um, by Opera Magazine. And I think maybe Weston will just kind of blast through the the winners here. I should start by saying that um, the Opera Company Award went to two organizations. That was the first time ever. The Lvov National Academic Opera and Ballet Theater and the Odessa Opera and Ballet Theater, of course, both companies in Ukraine. And the mm. Lifetime Achievement Award given to, of course, legendary British mezzo-soprano Dame Janet Baker. 
Oh, yes. She she deserves all the awards people can throw at her, honestly. Sure. Yeah, there, we've got a, a pretty nice uh, sort of big lineup here. Uh, the We have, uh, I think, though, the ones that our listeners be most invested in would probably be, be uh, female singer and male singer. The uh, male singer, of course, is going to be uh, Stéphane Degout. Uh, Degout, Degout. Uh, I apologize for my French pronunciation. Oliver isn't here to yell at me, so I can say whatever I want. Chacun uh, son goût, as they say <laughs> in um, uh, Flatermouse. The female singer is Sabine Devier, who is great. Both of these interestingly there, Baroque there more, specialists. There are more vowels than consonants in her. Yeah, last it's name, it, it's an way. absolute crime. Uh, <laughs> but they're both uh, very. Uh, they both are uh, Baroque specialists, and I, uh, the, I I looked whenever I see like a list like this, I always look through my yeah. collection on iTunes and uh, um, find what recordings I have them in, and I they're both all over Rameau, which I think is very interesting um uh and and i i think ramo's having a bit of a moment i think baroque music has been having a moment for a while so i'm glad to see that kind of representation it's just interesting that they both come from sort of the same realm i also want to point out the uh international opera award for festival of the year our good friends at santa fe opera won that award well deserved we've talked about talked about them many many times and uh, only because they paid us sometimes uh, <laughs> they really are i think the quintessential uh, opera festival, at least in this country, in terms of, you know, having a, a vibe, having the resources and guts to put on some really, really interesting shows, uh, especially this year, some really great productions out of that. You should check out our previous episodes that we had uh, with uh, various representatives of uh, Santa Fe. I mean, just like the World Cup U.S. men's team has not represented i don't think this country particularly well actually the u.s was quite well represented at the 2022 international opera awards this is typically a very eurocentric event right the yeah. people the companies are all from europe i want you to find me someone from south america on this list i don't even know if south america is eligible or not cape town was so african uh organizations apparently are Winners for uh, conductor Daniele Urustioni and uh, best designer Michael Levine. We're talking about new awards this year. Presumably Digital Opera is a new yes. one either this year or last year. The shortlist again for Digital Opera, including American companies, uh, Arizona yeah, uh, including, Opera. Not, not, just, uh, not just American companies, but also including uh, Soldier Songs that Opera Philadelphia did, mm -hmm. which I would have loved if they had won. Unfortunately, they did not. That went to Upload from Dutch National Opera, which I have not seen and did not know about <laughs> prior to them, them winning. Uh, similarly, I want to point out, uh, I think if you, uh, one of my favorite categories is the Rediscovered Work category because that tends to be the kind of stuff I listen to already so uh, I will say I will give them credit the rediscovered work that that one was the Della Piccola opera Ulysses um, at Opera Frankfurt um, that was one I did not know uh, almost every other one in this category I knew and I was so excited about potentially winning I would have loved to have seen X the life and times of Malcolm X uh, win because that that opera is coming back they just had a, a new recording released recently um, and then, of course, I'm uh, I love me some Antichrist by uh, Ruid Langard, uh, and of course we got to talk about my boy Erwin Schulhoff uh, and his opera Flamen, and then of course Dame Ethel Smith with the Wreckers. What a great bunch of rediscovered works, and they still managed to pick the one that I did not know. I, I'm confused about this nomination here right so so anthony davis x life and times of malcolm x like how is this rediscovered exactly, well i think right? this is like a really important you know and this is why i would argue that, that that honestly i think it probably should have won even though it's a relatively recently done work i feel like especially for american opera in the past you know 30 years or so it, it it's only been in the last honestly 10 years i think that you really start seeing uh, new works enter the standard repertoire. I feel like for the majority of like the 80s through all the way through the 90s, even into the early aughts, if you had a new opera, sure, it might get put on, but then it would be completely uh, it would disappear from history forever. 
Um, and I think an opera like X is such an important opera to tell the story of, especially in a post, you know, uh, uh, Black Lives Matter uh, world. Uh, I, I it does feel like a rediscovery and the fact that there's new productions, the original recording got re-released and then there's a new recording. It really is a rediscovery in the true sense of the word, um, even though it is perhaps less obscure than the Dalla Piccola Ulysses. <laughs> I think that there is something about the 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 comeback of this opera, which according to all, you know, uh, according to the conventional wisdom of operas that came out during that time, when it came out, where it came out, should have never been heard again. But really, in our heart of hearts, we know it should be heard again, uh, if that makes any sense. Um, it does. It does make sense. So the where directors appear on this list is obviously in the director category, but it's also under new production um, and, you know, a possibly rising talent. The director in me looks at these lists and like, I'm just sick to my stomach because it shows me how far <laughs> I have to go to get to this level. Listen to this list. If you're a director listening to the show, here we go. The nominees for director, Rosetta Kuki, Stefan Herheim, Tobias Kratzer, James Robinson, Simon Stone, and Adele Thomas. Stefan Herheim, the Norwegian, won this award and he's a brilliant director. This whole list... I love Jim Robinson's work at Opera Theater at St. Louis. I had some bones to pick with Simon Stone on his production of Lucia <laughs> at the Met. Two female nominees as well on this list. Then you jump down to new production. So the repertoire here is not particularly unusual. The list of directors, again, Andreas Homoki, Annalise Miskimen, Ted Hoffman, Laurent Pelly. Yuri Hermann and Christoph Loy. I, I don't know how the panel picks. It's like, imagine your depth chart on your football team, but like <laughs> instead of having a first string and a second string and a third string, like they're all just first string. <laughs> it really is like that sometimes. I feel like that can be an issue with uh, really big opera sort of uh, awards like this. I, I feel like, especially coming off of the Grammys, I feel like the Grammys um, are really sort of... Uh, awards for classical music for people that don't know or understand classical music. Uh, but it's uh, it's kind of like uh, what we just talked about in the interview. It's kind of like a trumpet player talking to a trumpet player is going to get a little bit too in-depth sometimes uh, with with who with the the the, the minutiae and the and the depth of talent can certainly be uh, can certainly be intimidating. Um, I will say though, I really like this uh, this other new category, uh, which is the um, oh gosh, what's it? The equity equ uh, uh, equal opportunities and impact category, which went to uh, Cape Town Opera's Foundation Studio. The other category, which I think is in that that envelope pushing bracket, is sustainability. Again, perhaps this has been on the mm -hmm. roster mm -hmm. in the past. Gothenburg Opera in Sweden wins this one. Duh, of course the Swedes are going to be the biggest on sustainability. <laughs> Although English National Opera was also in the same category. And they had the genius idea of um, being able to have sustainability in opera by just not doing it. <laughs> I, I, I think their carbon footprint is going to be pretty high after they have to move way, way out of <laughs> London. Got to load up everything to the truck. Uh, R.I.P. Two more categories. One where Americans really excelled. I thought this is in the world premiere category. So you have a nomination from Opera Theater of St. Louis, Tobias Picker's opera Awakenings. You have a nomination from Cincinnati Opera, Gregory Spears' Castor and Patience. Mm -hmm. And lastly, again, from Santa Fe, Huang Ro, M. Butterfly. Mm. Ultimate winner in this category was... The uh, uh, Lomonet in um, in Brussels with a piece mm. called The mm. Time of Our Singing. Yeah, Lastly, the one we can't talk about because we've never seen it. <laughs> the one, yeah, yeah. But again, the, I mean, so what this shows you is that when it comes to deconstructing the form, this is where you, when you look to new production and the choices of, of the operas, right? Madama Butterfly, Papea, Voix Humaine, Tritico. Right. So these Europeans are deconstructing the form. You look at the world premiere category and now you start to see American opera houses who are putting their money where their collective mouths are 
and mm. actually creating new works. And you see that reflected in the nominations. 2023 will be here before we know it. Always excited to see who gets the nod for the shortlist and, of course, who ends up winning. Speaking Soundly is your backstage pass to today's biggest stars on the biggest stages from the world of opera, orchestra, and more. Join host and Metropolitan Opera Principal Trumpet David Krauss as he sits down with Grammy Award winners Joyce DiDonato, Anthony Roth Costanzo, Isabel Leonard, Terrence Blanchard, Wynton Marsalis, Emmanuel Axe, and other superstars as they speak about their lives and creative process. It's quite a roster. Hear how Isabel Leonard gets into character, how Joyce DiDonato developed her voice, and how an accidental trip to Carnegie Hall ignited Emmanuel Axe's fantasy to perform on that very stage. Speaking soundly gives audiences new perspectives and never-before-heard stories from renowned musicians, conductors, composers, and singers. Catch the latest episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And follow the show on Instagram at Speaking S-N-D-L-Y, at Speaking Sindly. And for more info about the podcast, check out ArtfulNarrativesMedia.com. It's our listener mailbag. Of course, we invite you to send a voice memo or email us your hot takes, gmail.com. Get that OBS beer coaster for your pint and that OBS lapel pin for your lapel just for sharing your own hot take. PJ and Donald checked in from New York City and the production of Rigoletto at the Met. Hey, Opera Box Score, it's PJ. I'm here on the porch yet again at the Metropolitan Opera. It's a lovely Monday evening. We're here seeing Rigoletto. It is a marvelous production, but I'm not really qualified to tell you why it's so marvelous. So I'm going to hand you to my very good friend, Donald, and he's going to tell us, why is this so good, Donald? Well, it's gloriously sung. It's a lousy production, but it's beautifully sung. They've transposed it from uh, 16th century Italy, from the court of Mantua to uh, Weimar, Germany. The only problem with that is there were no ducal courts in Weimar, Germany, and uh, there were no jesters in <laughs> in Weimar, Germany. <laughs> it just doesn't make sense, but it is gorgeously sung. Uh, last week was the debut of a major, major singer, Benjamin Bernheim, French tenor, was supposed to be here two years ago, three years ago, in Romeo and Juliet, but the season was canceled because of COVID, so they finally got him. This is a major voice. Probably the best Duke that I've heard since Luciano Pavarotti, and that's saying something, because I've heard some good ones since then. Rosa Feola, the Italian soprano, is a Gilda. She's singing beautifully. And of course, the American baritone, Quinn Kelsey, among the two best Verdi baritones in the world today. It's a fancy crowd here at the Met. We're glad to share our observations always with you good people. Love your show, and we'll catch up again. See ya. See ya. Bye. Once again, a classic PJ listener mailbag, fast becoming uh, uh, one of our uh, favorite sort of uh, almost a correspondent at this point. Uh, Let me tell you, folks, if if you're listening and you haven't gotten your beer coaster uh, or pin yet, you really do have to send these in because this is the quality that we're expecting from you. We 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 need those voice memos. We need those emails. Talk to us. I, I, I don't <laughs> don't worry about the. I mean, these are beautifully recorded. I just I love the background noise on PJ stuff. It sounds like he's in line for a hot dog. <laughs> and the hot dog is Rigoletto. But man, so this is the Bartlett Chair Art Deco inspired production of, of Verdi's Rigoletto. Quinn Kelsey. Benjamin Bernheim. The show runs through December 29. Lousy production. Boy, these New Yorkers, they just tell it like it is. Even without the <laughs> accents. You just, you just like, when they talk, you just kind of shut up and listen. You, too, need to shut up and listen to the two-minute drill. This just in. The two-minute drill. All right, listen up. Here's everything you need to know about what happened in Opera Land this week. The director of the Vienna State Opera, Bogdan Rosic, has said that the role of music director will be eliminated after Philippe Jordan leaves in 2025. 
Quote, historically, the state opera has been without a music director for much longer than with one, said Roshich. Both models have major advantages and disadvantages. At the end of November, a lawsuit was filed against the Salzburg Festival, and it's not going away. Said Austrian tenor and activist Wolfgang Applinger Sperrhacker, the Salzburg Festival never issued its own contracts as required by the Theater Labor Act. The letters of engagement never stated the exact period of the pre-rehearsal period, therefore giving the Salzburg Festival an absolute free hand to decide alongside their own necessities. As there was no extra fee for the pre-rehearsals agreed, no employee can provide his services unpaid for such a long period. And if we have any lawyers who listen to our podcast, please email us at operaboxscore at gmail.com to explain what that means. Grammy Award-winning mezzo-soprano Sasha Cook and pianist-slash-vocal coach John Churchwell have been named the new co-directors of the voice program at Music Academy of the West. The program has been named the Lehrer Vocal Institute, and the Academy has dropped of the West to now simply the Music Academy. Cook and Churchwell have been passed at the mantle from the legend herself, Marilyn Horn, who directed the program for 20 years. It's true. There's only one Champions of the West. Go Blue. On the disabled <laughs> list, Russell Thomas canceled his final performance of Don Carlo at the Met in early December. Rafael Davila sang the title role. And that's actually the third time that Davila has taken to the stage for this production. He replaced Thomas twice in November. The Met also announced a cast change for its production of The Hours. The role of Sally was sung by Eve Gigliotti, replacing Denise Graves. Exit stage right, director Michael Hampe has died at the age of 87. He became GD at Cologne Opera and held a position for 20 years and was the artistic director of the Dresden Music Festival between 1993 and 2000. Italian composer Azio Corgi has passed away at 85. He's remembered for operas, both chamber and grand and orchestral works, including Gargantua, which premiered at the Teatro Reggio in 84, Blemunda, which was at the Scala in the 89-90 season, and others. Quentin Oliver Lee, a New York stage and opera performer who most recently appeared in the acclaimed award-winning off-Broadway production of Heather Christian's Oratorio for Living Things, has died at 34. Lee's Broadway credits include Caroline, or Change, The Phantom of the Opera, Porky and Bess, and Carmen. And on this day, December 5, 1602, the first performance of Caccini's Eurydice in Florence, 1704 Handel duels with Matheson over harpsichord interpretation in the opera Cleopatra, and apparently a, a coat button saved Handel's life. <laughs> 1749, the first performance of Rameau's Zorastra in Paris, his last opera. 1788, Carabini's Demophon in Paris. These two from the daily Italian opera calendar, courtesy of Anthony Berese. 1844 was the premiere of Mercadante's Leonora. 1872, the premiere of Punchielli's I Promessi Sposi. And some birthdays. Happy birthday, born in 1898, soprano Grace Moore. 1946, Spanish tenor Jose Carreras. 1960, composer Osvaldo Goliov. And in 1969, American composer Stacy Garrett was born. And that is your two minute drill. Jose Carreras uh, absolutely shredding in <laughs> Lucia di Lammermore in a production from uh, 1982. Uh, he was uh, cursing the Lucia of Katia Riccarelli and demonstrating just how different of a singer he was compared to the other two tenors amongst whose careers he is unfairly entwined. This is the limit of what we can do as singers before it just becomes shouting. That's Oliver's <laughs> comment for that. <laughs> Look, okay, so the Vienna State Opera, let's agree that it's 
the most important opera house in the world or one of the top three most important opera houses in the world, right? Bogdan Rosich, I'm no fan, but to say that the role of music director at the Vienna State Opera is leaving when Philippe Jourdain leaves in 2025, what am I missing? I don't know. I feel like I'm missing a very key part of this story, too. It's really uh, it's I think it's kind of a bold move. Obviously, not every company in the world has a music director. Um, and uh, if if what he says is accurate, that it's been most of its life without a music director, which I wouldn't be totally surprised by. Uh, music directors are a relatively new uh, invention. Here's the stat that Rosich gives. He says, quote, historically, the state opera has been without a music director for much longer than with one. Now, obviously, if we're going back to like, I don't know. 1791 or Mozart's time or whatever, <laughs> maybe. He says both models can have major advantages and disadvantages. Well, buddy, one advantage is that you will now be making all the major, major music decisions. If there's no... Yeah, so that this is, is like a communist one... consolidation of power. <laughs> it does certainly feel a little like a power grab in some ways. Um it's so the, the opera house is driven by the Vienna Philharmonic, right? Again, one of the top three orchestras in the world. If you're playing in that ensemble, man, we should have asked David Krause this. If you're playing in that ensemble, like, do you want the rotating door of all these different conductors coming <laughs> in and out? Do you want consistency? Yeah, I think I think we don't we might not know enough at this stage. Yeah, I, I do think that maybe that's some of the logic is that you know the Vienna Philharmonic has its own you know uh, they have their own sound their own uh, identity already. But I do think that the Vienna Philharmonic and the Vienna Philharmonic that performs in the pit are really two different orchestras, and yeah. I, I think that even if it's all the same people. There's a different flavor. There's a different playing style, different acoustics. I think it's worth it to have someone who understands that that particular the needs of that particular space. It's so sad that Michael Hampe has died. This is in November that he passed away. He was one of the seminal directors of the 70s and the 80s. Recently published a book called The Crafty Art of of opera which i have on my shelf i can see it right here in the studio it is such a pithy it's it's in translation so he wrote it in german it was translated into english and it doesn't lose too much in translation but it really gets to the heart of not just what this art form is of opera but how to stage this art mm. form and, and how to it, Get take music and to put it into three dimensions. It is a great book. He will be missed. And if you want your child to turn out just like George Cedarquist, read that to them as their bedtime story every night. It works every time. He'll start shrinking and growing red hair. Uh, I, I just want to close pointing out this this absolutely wild story. In the On This Day segment... This makes no sense. I, I didn't know that Handel got into a duel, or if I did, I, I forgot it. It sounds familiar. But uh, over harpsichord interpretation, um, I do know that Handel had a bit of a temper. He was known for threatening to throw certain uncooperative uh, sopranos out of windows. Charming. Um, but just imagine how different the world of music would have been if it hadn't been for that that coat button. If he had died earlier, of course, this would mean there would be a lot fewer operas of his that I would have to try and remember. <laughs> there is that. Let's wrap this show up. Good call. Bad call. On Opera Box Score. God, Weston, this has been a barn burner, man. Oh, yeah. It's 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 just the two of us just sitting in the hot tub. Well, uh, it, uh, we, we had Oliver in there too for a little bit. And, then, and, he, then he farted, and I had to kick him out of the hot tub. <laughs> no, that was that was the horse poop that did, that did that. <laughs> you got a good call or a bad call to take us home, Weston? I don't have either of those things, but it just so happens that you know Matt Cummings is not here, and I found the perfect good call for him. It turns out that the Phantom of the Opera. 
the longest-running show in Broadway history that was closing, has um, pushed that closing date a little bit, and it will now play through April 2023. Uh, and if it actually closes then, it will have played for 13,981 performances, which boggles the mind. Uh, and honestly, if uh, if these uh, you know returning show numbers, once they announce the cancellation, uh, and and got those ticket sales back up. I almost wonder if they'll never be able to cancel at this point because every time they say <laughs> it's over, they'll just do it again. But we'll find out. We'll be uh, when when we're in our nineties, um, and well, you and I will be in our nineties. Oliver will be three hundred and six. Um, <laughs> we will finally see the show close. That's my prediction. Weston, it's a marketing ploy. They, they do it on <laughs> they do it on purpose. I have a bad call this week. So the Mets production of Aida. Hey, it all comes back to Aida. So we we're just talking about with, with David Krauss. So the production of Aida is it's thirty four years old. Oh. This is the the Sonia Frizzell production. It's 34 years old. It is extremely... It's like 210 in dog years. Sun-baked hieroglyphics and, and torch-lit temples, as, as Zachary Wolf says in the New York Times. It was supposed to be retired, and it is yet to be replaced. It was supposed to be replaced in, in the 2019-2020 season. Of course, that didn't happen. And now there, it's still going to be two another two years into a new production of Aida. And the thing is literally falling apart. At a performance earlier in the run, the standard intermission at the Met, as PJ or Donald could have told you, is, is 30 minutes. And changing the sets on this bad boy takes longer than that. So you end up with, again, crunching the numbers, Zachary Wolf did the math. It's a two and a half hour score. The evening of the performance is over four hours. That is why we cannot wait to get this production. <laughs> out. It, 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 it is literally sagging with all the people on it. That is it for this week's edition of America's Talk Radio Show about opera. Our announcer is Norm Waddell. He's at normwaddell.com doing the brand new bumpers for the show this week. Again, make sure you subscribe to the podcast on Stitcher and Spotify. Click follow on Apple Podcasts. Hit the plus sign. Send us a voice memo or email us your hot takes, operaboxscore at gmail.com. Get that beer coaster and lapel pen. Our creative consultant is Oliver Camacho. Our audio editor is Weston Williams. Special thanks to Jessica Hamilton at Artful Narrative Media. For our guest, David Krause, I'm George Cedarquist, asking you to continue the conversation about opera as you get into a duel over handle harpsichord interpretations. We're back with an all-new show next week when we pick the winner of the 2022 Men's World Cup with our patented opera prediction method. <laughs> Plus, you get more opera headlines, more hot takes, and more horseshit. Join us. <laughs>